Okay, welcome back to What Is and What Could Be with Michael Clark, Architect. Pleasure to be here with you again, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen into this podcast series where we talk through what it feels like to collaborate with an architect and what is involved in realising an architectural project. We talk through the creative thinking behind the design of spaces and places. And sincere apologies for the delay between proceedings. I will try to improve, but this episode, we're going to try and wrap up this, what I've been calling a mini-series that is ultimately focusing directly on a part of the response to the ultimate question I keep asking throughout this podcast, which is why work with an architect? And today we've been answering that two ways. One, What does an architect do? And in particular, what are some of the design focuses that occur uh, throughout the evolution of a project and the stages of services we provide? And number two, why do we do what we do? Now, we've spoken about the former at length and we'll continue to do so. I wanted in this mini-series to talk a little bit to the latter. And this is a topic that is arguably the catalyst for the podcast or one of the main reasons for the podcast. It'll be something we keep coming back to when we talk to guests uh, and that I certainly keep bringing up. And so today we're not going to talk to the former, that is, what is it that we do, at least directly. We're going to talk more to the latter, which is why do we do what we do? Because we haven't spoken to that quite at length and a little bit of a teaser trailer. I do have some interesting guests lined up. Spoke to one recently at length. It was a great episode. I can't wait to show that to you. I think I'm going to put that on the next episode as my chair creaks and reminds me that it is possibly featuring in the recording. I apologize for that. Um, looking forward to that. And there, that person will definitely talk about the why, why they do what they do and some of the focuses they have. But until then, you've got me. And I mentioned the mini-series. So the mini-series is specifically focusing on why we say yes to a commission. Now, important to note, as I've explained in other episodes, I'm doing this not to sort of distinguish or repel or offend. It's not where it's coming from at all. I'm doing it because in my business coaching group recently, it's probably eight, 10 weeks ago now, but recent in the scheme of life, my business coach and a colleague in my business coaching group, or one of my business coaches rather, uh, mentioned this idea that they, that is my business coach and this colleague said the same thing, had always considered that working with an architect was something not, excuse me, not available to them. That it is something available only to the select few. And this troubled me. Now, to put them in context, important to note, they're not alone, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, but one of them owns a gym, one of them did own a gym, I'm not sure what their arrangement is with property, but they were kind of speaking to, you know, working with an architect for their business and or their property, and they weren't sure that an architect would make sense or that an architect would be interested or something along those lines. Now, I'm not throwing them under the bus. Instead, uh, that compelled me to want to talk about this in greater detail because here's the thing. Their position is not unique. 
I would say that that position is reflective of most of society. Well, I can't speak to most of society. I can speak with some authority or quite a lot of authorities to certainly the area I work, most notably New South Wales, Australia, and the uh, greater Western Sydney region of that area. Uh, I don't have statistics in front of me, but I do recall seeing statistics many moons ago around university times and seeing them again more recently that said something along the lines of, excuse me while I just move you a tiny bit, said something along the lines of less than 5% of houses realised in, uh, or built rather, in Australia, or it might have been New South Wales, I can't recall, though I would say it would be true of Australia, but in any case, said less than 5% of houses designed in, built, sorry, I keep saying design, built in Australia are designed by architects. Now, I don't have that statistic in front of me to dive deeper into. I am very interested in getting more statistics in front of me for this podcast series, but it is something I did see and uh, welcome to tell me where that statistic might have come from. I know I'm not making it up. However, without it in front of me, I can't do a deep dive on the area that was analysed and who the people responding were or how the data came in. I can't speak intelligently to the why that is. But for this episode, I want to maybe put forward an idea that the idea, that the idea put forward an idea, that it may come from this limiting belief, this minimization that my colleagues and business coach put forward, that an architect doesn't make sense, isn't warranted, wouldn't be interested. And I want to flip that script to use my business coach's terminology. I want to change that as best I can by revealing what it is that compels us to work on a project. And when I go through this, and we're up to miniseries episode three, I've done two episodes before, you'll see, I would think, that it actually doesn't take a lot to compel an architect to say yes to a commission. However, I want to go through it because I want to develop rapport. I want to, through curiosity, intrigue, delight, things of that nature, compel would-be clients, collaborators, contractors, consultants to work with an architect through the information I'm about to put forward. Anecdotes, stories, both in my practice and beyond, and not have a situation where society or would-be clients don't reach out to architects as a predisposition, as a foregone conclusion, like my colleagues that I mentioned. Granted, you might work with an architect initially and it doesn't work out, or you have a discovery call or initial meeting or concept design, that's fine. But at least you've, to use an Australianism, uh, had a go. I, I want people to at least have had a go. Anyway, in the previous three episodes, sorry, two episodes, we spoke about the fact that there are three reasons that I use to say yes to a commission. And whilst I'm talking about me, this is a position that I think is shared by many of my colleagues. I don't sit here in a bubble necessarily not talking to any other architects, not working for institutions, universities, or the Australian Institute of Architects, or whatever 
I, I socialize. <laughs> I will get more people on this podcast, I promise, but I'm not speaking next to them, but a lot of what I'm saying is shared to a large extent by others. However, I'm talking about me. What are the reasons that I use to say yes or no to a commission? And we said that the commission, note that I'm not saying project, the commission has a good fee, that it has a good client, or that it is a good project. Now, briefly to recap on those first two, when we said good fee, we're not talking specific economics. Might be a subject for another time, but until then, we are more focused on the opportunity to add value to the project as the architect sees fit based on their understanding of that project and whatever focuses it has as a result of that fee. That's more what we're talking about. What does the fee embody allow from a scaffolding broad brush framework perspective? That's more what we were talking about. Didn't think it useful at this stage to speak specifically to amounts. And even then it'd be better to work that through with others because as I mentioned in that episode, every practice is different. Second thing is that the project has a good client. Now to be clear, that's nothing to do with personalities and everything to do with the availability for that client to contribute to the ongoing or ongoing development of the design and the iterations it goes through, which ultimately is them, that is clients, speaking to the vision, as in brief, as it evolves or as it is reflected in a design. Now, that's a big commitment and not every client is available to that level and some aren't available at all. And here's the thing, that's fine. That happens. It might be a speculative project as in a development project where the client isn't particularly interested in how it looks. It's more a return on investment. That's okay, that happens. That's not necessarily a reason to say no. However, if you've got that and you've got a not so good fee, then you don't have what I like to have, which is two of the three reasons ticked before you say yes to a project. Don't ever say yes if none of them are ticked. I don't think I recall working on a project where only one was ticked. We're always striving to have at least, well, all of them ticked, but we want at least two, two of the three. So either good fee and good project, good client and good project, or I've missed one of them. What have I missed? I've said project twice. So the project might not be good, but it's got a good fee and it's a good client. Now, let's go into good project. Now, when I say project, it's not a situation that good fee plus good client equals good project. Good fee plus good client equals a reason to say yes, but it does not mean that the project is good. Separate who's, how much you're being paid and what that represents from who is paying and who is instructing from where it is, how big it is, what it is, what stuff is in it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's get right into that. We're talking about what makes a good project in terms of saying yes to the commission if you're an architect. Before we do that, let's go back and see what we're trying to achieve. Now, I'm fresh off celebrating 
I'm going to use that word, the process of photographing one of my projects with uh, a great photographer. And um, I, uh, I was a bit nervous about that, but I enjoyed stopping and let's throw some cliches around, smelling the roses, having a brief moment to say that realizing projects is pretty tough. We persevere and we work through things and we have a design focus and we do get there. But I'm not going to say that every hour is easy. What is nice is at the end of it to celebrate, have a bit of joy. Say, wow, what a result, what an outcome, whatever that means. In this case, taking photos, photos that I intend to use for websites and other things. I won't go into that now. So what we're trying to do in terms of measuring what is a good project is seeing if that project can ultimately bring us joy, which is to say at the end, we look at the project above and beyond the success story for that client. Fundamental, that's what we're trying to achieve. But in terms of it being a good project, we're trying to see if it can live beyond that client, if it can add to the profession at large, be celebrated through photos, win awards, get published, where you feel like you're, the architect is invited to conferences or lectures to speak or university to speak or whatever it might be, that that opportunity to work on a project to that level or to have a project that will be celebrated beyond the project for the community at large, for the profession at large, for the planet, for the city, for the state, whatever it is, that can bring joy. And ultimately, we're artists. I believe architects are artists. I'll happily debate that with anyone. I feel the creative act that we undertake and what it is that we're realizing, it's an art form. And artists want to express. And if we want to express, we want to express to the purest form where it can potentially be celebrated. That expression can be celebrated. So let's talk about joy. And I wanted to talk about this because a colleague brought it up in a discussion group I'm in. A project bringing joy. So if we're talking about getting it to that point, then could that be any project? Well, let's think about projects and sizes and scale scope. And to do that, let's go right back to a really dull, potentially textbook definition of architecture. In second year university, I was compelled with, um, I was compelled to study the dictionary and appreciate definitions. I was in that part of my study and my life where I was really interested in etymologies, the origin of words, Latin, Greek, whatever they might be. And we were studying music and architecture. And I do think that set me on a pathway to learn how to play various instruments, uh, which I've mentioned throughout the podcast series. And at one point I will play an instrument in the podcast and relate it to space and place. But until then, I liked that at this time, the definition of architecture structurally had some comparisons to music. And I can't remember what dictionary it was, and I might be misquoting. It might have been the music said this and architecture is slightly more tenuous, and I created that definition. Uh, I don't quite recall. But either way, it was something along the lines of this, that music is an art and a science that expresses significant ideas and emotions through the combination of rhythm, melody, and harmony. Architecture, it said, is an art and a science that expresses significant ideas 
don't recall her mentioning emotions, but certainly ideas, through the combination of floor, wall, and roof. And I love that there was that connection. So in terms of having the purest form of expression to celebrate as per the examples I gave, perhaps we're looking for a project that is most comprehensive in what it is that we're trying to resolve, that we're defining the floor, the wall and the roof or redefining it through modifications, alterations and additions and anything less than that, a project where we're not defining the floor or wall roof is a project that we can't express the most and therefore is a project that may not bring much joy. So let's think about that. A project that is a new build versus alterations and additions versus what I call just, quote unquote, just projects. That is projects that are just a kitchen, just a bathroom, just a pergola, a pool fence, a carport, window replacement, just projects. Those examples are insertions within floor, wall, roof and maybe redefine and reframe and Certainly in the case of kitchen bathroom, give a greater sense of that enclosure and that space, sorry, not greater sense, a different feel to those spaces, but we're not defining and expressing an idea in regards to that definition as let's say wholesale, and therefore it might not bring much joy. So let's think about that for a second, these just projects. I have to tell you that my experience working with clients on those just projects is such where the contribution, collaboration, involvement, and therefore pressure on those clients' time is not just. It's not just a pergola in terms of what they need to work through with me and approve and provide instruction. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of the defining. In fact, I'm doing all of the defining in terms of drawings and design development, but they still need to critically review and say yes, no, or maybe. So there's commitment there, and that commitment is extensive. It's also not just a insert example on their finances. It's not a just in terms of the disruption on their life when the project is realized. Classic examples being kitchen bathroom, especially when you only have one bathroom, very hard to maintain a life, particularly with a family in a house when those things are happening but still disruptive when any work is happening. And certainly, this is the main point for my podcast, not just a, insert example, excuse me, in regards to the outcome, how things feel when the project is complete. I have a client who engaged me a year or so ago now, but before that, They had a bathroom which had some practical shortcomings. And to be honest, that's usually where the engagement to architect comes from or desire to engage an architect comes from, that there's some practical shortfall. In this case, that the shower recess to their bathroom was about to collapse. collapse. The floor to that shower recess was about to collapse. The water from use of the shower was finding its way to the subfloor structure, which was rotting and about to collapse. And it goes without saying, regardless of design aspirations, regardless of the focus that architect has and their ability in regards to design, 
it should go without saying that practical things like that are not up for grabs. There's many other practical things we can sort. And I'm here to tell you that architects get a bit of grief about that. And I'm here to also tell you that we really consider them. So they could have, that is this client, could have elected to locally repair somehow the uh, parts of the shower recess that had rotted, but they elected to keep going, do the whole bathroom. In fact, do the adjoining laundry too. And what was compelling is that they told me that the result, I wasn't involved, but the result was so great as in had such a big impact on their living experience, positive living experience, the joy now, I'm going to use joy for them too, of using their bathroom compared to what it used to be was so exciting that they wanted to keep going. Now that's a bathroom. I mean, it's pretty utilitarian. You don't socialize necessarily in a bathroom, not for the most part. You go in and you do your business. I'm going to use some colloquialisms here or, um, you know, avoid being explicit, but you go in and you go out. Uh, granted, if you've got a bath, you might have a ritual associated with that. That means you spend a lot of time there. But there's a reason why under the Building Code of Australia, it's not classified as a habitable room. Habitable, in the case of the Building Code of Australia, which I've mentioned in another episode, means that the space is not used for extended periods. And for the most part, that's the way bathrooms are. You go in, you go out. But here's this client really valuing how that experience now plays out for them, so much so that they wanted to keep going. And if that's a testimonial, then it's anything but a just. That was not just a bathroom for them. Similarly, another quick one, a client who engaged me to do a pergola to the back of their house, they mentioned that they had done work before then with builder only, and this is not to throw shade on builders, but the reality is, certainly using this as an example, builders are exceptional at building, but design is not their forte. And so the build experiences that they'd had, they worked, they were practical, they finished on time, on budget, or whatever measuring stick you want to use, but from a design aspirational effect, uh, sorry, um, perspective, it wasn't quite there, at least not to the extent that when they experienced the custom thing that I worked on for their pergola, that they really enjoyed, that it was going to be defined. One of the things I said recently to someone was that um, if you're not working with an architect, then you may not know what you're going to get before you get it. Story for another time. Either way, the end result to this special part of their house, this pergola, which was, again, practical shortfall, 30 years old, I think. I'm just trying to do the maths, not really relevant. An old pergola that was failing. I forgot to say that for the shower recess. I might have, I apologise. But we use this concept of failing. Now, these aren't inanimate objects sitting in exam, the HSC, or some university exam. They are... Um, failing means that the design intent is not being realized because something's falling apart, cracking, leaking, whatever. And that was the case for the pergola. And it could have been replaced with something that was structurally sound and met today's standards better than the one that was previously done. 
or something along those lines, but the client wanted to look at alternatives. And so they did, and the result is something special for them. Now, I've given you examples, and I forgot to mention that I'm an architect. When we're talking about scale and we're talking about just projects, I'm not sitting here as an architect telling you that that's the work I do. I do pergolas, pool fences, and carports, and that's that's my the extent of my portfolio. It's not. I've worked on projects as big as an 1,000 capacity student the, mix that up, a thousand student capacity school to the western suburbs of Sydney, urban planning projects uh, and the associated work that goes into those, presenting to council and working up to an extent the school for construction documentation and tender pricing right down to the examples I recently gave. So I cover quite a wide range. And the important thing for me for these both project types is not what it is and how big it is. It's more that they all have a design focus. And that goes without saying. Maybe it does go with saying. It's sort of, in a way, someone's engaging an architect or me. I am an architect. or And it goes without saying that this is going to be a design exercise. Otherwise, they could have gone down a different route. So that's more relevant. And two examples from other companies, because I've spoken about me, there's a company that I worked for many years ago. They're an international company. And I was talking to their director many, well, not many, a couple of years ago about potential projects in Australia. And somehow there was this topic thread of bus stops came up and their desire to design a bus stop in Sydney or a bus stop suite, you would say. Now, this is not a company that on in their portfolio has bus stops. They design furniture, but they're also not a furniture design company. Instead, they do restaurant fit-outs, retail projects. They do um, uh, they do commercial projects, houses, both new and modified. And if you went to their website, you wouldn't see a bus stop. But here is this architect saying that they are interested in it. And you might think that in the uh, context of what I'm talking about in terms of joy, that this is not a project type that an architect would be compelled to work on because it would bring joy. You sort of think about it. That's not, this doesn't fit that criteria. Um, Sorry, I'm just looking for something that I remembered I wanted to find and I have found it. Um, but this architect wanted to do it. And here's the thing that they were of the understanding that when they presented this to me, that they wanted, that if they were to do it, if they were to put their hand up for it, it would be because there's a design frame or it's framed that there's going to be a design response. This is going to be a design exercise. And more importantly, that it's going to be this architect's version of a bus stop in Sydney, Australia. That is their focus or their interests, how the company works, the design paradigm in regards to materials and detailing, what it means to wait for a bus in Sydney in 2023. Now, I, just to talk about bus stops very briefly, I'm an architect that worked, sorry, lived 
in an area where there was a main bus route connecting me to where I worked at the time. And it was a threshold between councils, the street, this particular road was a defining line between councils. And what that meant is that on one side of the road, there was a bus stop that looked very different to the other side. And one, in my opinion, had not stood the test of time design-wise. It was not as elegant, refined, well-detailed as the other side. And so my experience waiting for a bus going one way was better than my experience of a waiting for a bus going the other way. But there it is. Not really defining an enclosure, partly an enclosure. Sure, there's a roof, there's walls, not really a floor, but it's not an enclosure. And yet this architect that doesn't really work on projects like this wanted to work on, wanted, it was something that interested them. Last example from a different firm that I worked at for many years, uh, where at one point they put their hand up and subsequently realized some street furniture. Now, in terms of just projects, I think this is even getting further from the, you know, example I initially gave of bathroom. And now I'm going to go on a berserker rage for B alliteration. I love when I get alliteration. I feel like there needs to be a ding or some acknowledgement in the podcast episode. He did it. So we're going from bathrooms to bus stops to now bollards, benches and bins. Bollards, benches and bins. And if that's not a just project, then what is? But this architect not only put in a competition design and it buddied up uh, through joint venture with a furniture fabrication company to do this street furniture in response to their attitude towards detailing materials and design, or that is design rather, for this street furniture. So it wasn't just do, just street furniture. It was, dear company, please respond to this the way that you use your design philosophy, apply it, show us what you think street furniture can look like at the time. And I think the result was special but there's two examples that are completely throwing to throwing in the bin a notion of an architect being interested, you know, unless it's the opera house, the Guggenheim or something of those lines. Really, if it's design framed and a design focus, you've got no idea how an architect will respond. You just never know. In a documentary I saw many years ago, that I've been trying to find ever since. It was a great documentary. I really enjoyed it as a, I was going to say kid. I was a late teenager. It was on Frank Lloyd Wright and someone in the documentary was mentioning that um, Frank Lloyd Wright was growing fatigued at the time working on houses. He was working on over 100 houses. I can't remember the number and someone can correct me on this. You're welcome to. But it was the height of the Talius and West period and uh he was working on a lot of projects, uh, most notably some houses, and he was growing fatigued. He wanted to work on something else. And I would argue that every project is different. Every house is therefore different. Every site is different. But projects or project types do have the same stuff. As in every house has a cooktop, a bench, uh, sorry, a bathroom, toilet selection, light selection. And if you're doing 100 of them, even though the shell design detailing materials is varied, you still have to go through the exercise of cooktop, range hood, exhaust, whatever. And I could imagine if you're working on 100, if in fact that is the right number, that you would be fatigued. 
and you would possibly want to work on something else. And he then uh, shifted to the next scale and worked on the Guggenheim and Johnson Wax Museum and many other non-residential projects that are uh, celebrated in the history of architecture. Now, that's the other way around. You could find that there's an architect that has worked on towers and very large projects, and they're very interested in stepping back to the boutique, smaller scale detailing of other project types. Just recently, I was walking around a project I'd finished with a friend who made note of the detailing to this. It was a house, a house project, and they explained that they are not working on detailing to that scale. They're working on bigger projects, and it's refreshing to see that scale again. And so you could say that you, you really don't know if someone is going to be compelled in the cycle of their career and their workflow, what they might want to work on. Very, very briefly on location. It doesn't really play to a big extent as much as the design focus. I mean, I could have started this podcast episode and said, good project, if it's got a design focus, doesn't matter. That's the sort of main message in this podcast episode. I certainly don't subscribe to the idea of if it's coastal, I want to do it. And if it's suburban, I don't. If it's regional or if it's sort of more metropolitan, if it's freestanding, whereas if it's built in on both sides, doesn't really matter. Granted, there is a convenience that can't be ignored to having a few projects in similar locations, but it's not such a draw card as to, you know, uh, only doing that. For some reason, a lot of my projects for a while were in Bondi and uh, that's shifted, but, you know, architects do prefer to have projects closer to where they work or where other projects are, but it's not quite the same as you know, a construction company, and even then they'd probably challenge me on this, but, you know, a construction company having projects close to each other is very economical and therefore very compelling when compared to having things spread out. I spend a lot of time in the car and I know the builders do too, and it's not the best experience regularly, especially if you're under time constraints and caught in traffic, Uh, but it's not a draw card. You can make it work. And it's what's more interesting is the project itself. What's the focus? Is it a design focus? I have projects that are as far south as, or not active, but I've worked on projects as far south as Bega, Marimbula, and as far north as, well, Queensland, but slightly, well, substantially south of that. Oh, no, I've worked on a project in Ballina, uh, in uh, northern New South Wales coastline, and in um, Foster, and as far west as Lura in the Blue Mountains. So I don't really subscribe to a suburb. I certainly don't subscribe to a location. Again, if you've worked on a lot of projects in metropolitan areas, you might be compelled to have a look at working on projects in regional areas, but I don't think that it is necessarily a defining factor. Okay, to wrap this episode up, just check my show notes and think through if I've covered what I want to cover. I think I have. I um, wanted to talk a little bit more about this idea of joy, joy that comes from expressing ideas and that being the thing that compels you. So if it's got design focus, you're expressing ideas. If you can express ideas, then that will bring joy regardless of the size of the project. Now, I want to be clear that 
don't ring every second architect and say, I heard Michael's podcast and I think you'd be interested in working on a bus stop or my deck or a pool fence. It doesn't, it's not as simple as that. But what I'm getting at is you never know. Don't subscribe to this limiting belief. You just never know. Um, but in the topic of joy, so what happens if it doesn't have an explicit design focus? One of the catalysts for this episode or this repeat of the use of the word joy, <coughs> excuse me, is that in a group I'm in, an architectural circle I'm in, a colleague mentioned that there was a potential project. <coughs> Sorry, I've, I now really need some water and I don't have any handy. Might have to ask my assistant to help me. They said that there was a project where a draftsman or drafts, a person who's a drafter, I think it was a male, but let's say drafts person, uh, was struggling to achieve compliance for a apartment project they were working on in regards to the new regulations that have come in under that building class. And they are complicated. And unfortunately or fortunately, I won't put forward an opinion, but you can probably tell from my tone as to what my opinion is, but it has meant that the pool of architects available for those projects is smaller. And that's what this draft person was finding, that they were struggling to find an architect and now struggling to achieve compliance. And this architect that put that message out is a registered architect and a capable architect, but not registered under that regulation under uh, that allows him to work on class two projects. And I am, uh, but a little bit of a sort of question, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? They said, it sounds like a project that won't bring much joy related to waterproofing and fireproofing, fire protection, upgrades of that nature. It wasn't a kitchen, a bathroom, certainly wasn't a new building. So it's really explicitly about solving problems through design, but not with a pure design focus. <clears throat> now we have to solve these problems all the time, but we do that in amongst other creative responses. I'm going to have to pause very briefly. Sorry about that. I've had my drink. So the project wasn't going to bring much joy and a chicken and egg syndrome or situation. I was busy getting something done. I read it quickly and I said, oh yeah, it sounds like a project that's not going to bring much joy. I'm too busy, move on. And I didn't think anything further until a colleague said something that blew my mind. It was a real mic drop moment. They said, we'll reach out to them. Yes, they said. It sounds like a project that may not bring much joy. But if not us, then who? If not us, then who? Now, I've mentioned in other episodes, if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, that I am very interested in superheroes, in comics in particular. And one of my favourite superheroes, less so these days, not sure why I've sort of grown out of it, but I think it could be the fact that I've sort of surrounded myself with it for many years and I feel like it's almost saturated in the highest version uh, from a distribution perspective of said superhero in the form of movies that we've seen 
this character too many times in movies and we're a little bit fatigued. Uh, but in any case, I always loved the story of Spider-Man. Marvel comic superhero. Yes, I'm talking about a superhero. Yes, I still have an interest in that and it will feature in repeat episodes. Spider-Man's story, we probably all know by now. As I said, there's been multiple movies. But Peter Parker's origin story is compelling in regards to what I'm talking about. In that he was a teenager that was bullied, belittled, and didn't have a lot of friends, wasn't particularly popular. It was classic Stanley tragic superhero story. But he was bitten by a radioactive spider that gave him the proportionate strength of a spider and he went on not to do good things with that ability initially. He went on to make money and, uh, you know, use that to his advantage on a social level. And uh, in a wrestling event he was in, which he was, um, he was masked, someone robbed the uh, wrestling outlet and ran off with some cash and a security guard said to Peter, stop that, stop that person. And he said, not my problem. And he said, you could have stopped him. He said, no, it's, it's not my problem. It's nothing to do with me. And then it's revealed that the same robber went afterwards on a rampage and killed Peter Parker's uncle, which he didn't know or appreciate until he caught this person and found out that's who he, who he was and that he could have stopped that. And the fact that he didn't crushed him and he went on to realise from that point on that with great power comes great responsibility. And we've heard that multiple times in cinema and the like. They deliberately avoided using it too much in the latest one because it was used too heavily in the latest Spider-Man films. Anyway, I'm not going to make this a film episode. I keep telling myself that. Certainly not going to make it a long comic discussion episode. But if I said architects are artists and we're at our most content when we're expressing ideas in relation to our art. Maybe you could also consider that undertaking that we have a lot of power, that we are heroes and, and heroines, that what we do is important. Now, are we as big a hero or industry, as an industry, are we as heroic as people in the front line? Nurses and doctors in the emergency ward, police officers, people in defence, ambulance, um, state emergency services, etc., etc. Well, no. Okay? I'm not going to argue that. But I still think what we do is heroic. We change people's lives, working conditions, living conditions uh, in, a, in a special way, or at least that's our focus or my focus and my colleagues focus and that's special and it's not easy and it's a heroic undertaking but if we are heroes in my opinion and I'm there saying I'm not going to work on that project because it's not going to bring much joy then that's disappointing and when I saw my colleagues say that if not us then who this person is calling out for help they're trying to find someone to help them and they're struggling and I'm there saying, oh, it's not a project that's not going to bring much joy, not going to be interested. Remember, there are two other measuring sticks to saying yes to a commission. And in this sense, you have a client that needs help. And yes, we've got to see what it means in terms of fee. 
And maybe it's not a great project, but maybe the measuring stick for a good project is not necessarily that it brings an opportunity for publication, celebration, awards, lectures, or even just reflecting on it being a great design outcome, but ultimately you're helping someone. And I think that is another way of thinking about a project and you know, potentially working with an architect. Is it clear that as a client, you need some help and that you're really appreciative and grateful that there's someone out there that will help? Because the pool in this case is quite narrow. And I don't like it, people out there struggling to find a solution to their problem. I like helping people. And yeah, it comes through design as well. But maybe we could say that in this case, the act of helping is enough. Now, just on the topic of comics, and we're about to finish this episode, I've got this little uh, comic strip that was emailed to me when I worked at a bigger company many years ago. And I thought it was fantastic. And it's got, it's, it's a grid of, uh, what is it? Four by one, two, three, four, five. And it's uh, caricatures of the architect. The, it's called the image of the architect. You can Google it, image of the architect comic. I feel like it's got like a 90s vintage to it. Um, maybe early noughties. Very simple line drawings possibly in a paper or something along those those lines. Uh, some forms that, you know, are not as politically correct maybe as we'd consider today, but either way, image of the architect. Complete exaggeration. There's a, an image here, how the architect's perceived by the client. And there's the architect reading the newspaper, listening to the radio with their feet up uh, on what I imagine is a work day. Uh, by the quantity surveyor, they're running around throwing money everywhere. By the politician, they're getting uh, everything thrown at them. By the journalist, there's a devil drawing board. And it's, it sort of speaks to how old it is. There's a huge drawing board. Uh, there's a devil sitting in a chair drawing these high-rises. And it said high-rise hell. By the disabled, there's a shot of, uh, speaking of comics, of an architect flying up some stairs to the toilets while the someone in a um, wheelchair sits and looks quite angry. And I won't go into the others, but um, the one I really wanted to talk about is how the architect is perceived by themselves. And they're here standing amongst a sort of a crowd that looks maybe a little bit concerned or unsure, doubtful, high above them with a torch, sort of light of hope, of defiance or something, a sword and a shield on their back, standing forward in opposition to naysayers, people that say an architect's not justified, wouldn't be interested, or the project can't be realised, or something along those lines. You know, seeing themselves, as I've just said, as a hero of sorts, a knight, uh, defending against, you tell me. But I love that strip, and it certainly reflects how I see architects as exemplified or as I mentioned in this podcast episode. All right, that's it from me. 
That brings us to the conclusion of this mini series relating to the idea of why work with an architect and appreciating what compels an architect to say yes to a commission, specifically in regards to what in the architect's mind makes for a good project. Now you could summarize, I mentioned that the size, the scale, the location is less relevant. I'm not saying it's not relevant, but it's certainly less relevant than whether the project clearly has a design focus, that that's what a client is outlining. And arguably that maybe makes a good client, but sometimes you've got to you know, position things in response to client. But anyway, design focus number one, but number two, potentially, for a reason, that the project is helping someone who's in need of help. All right, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to, talking to you. It's been a pleasure presenting. Next episode, we'll have a great guest. I look forward to introducing them, and I was super grateful that they were able to give me quite a lot of their time. And uh, until then, enjoy the rest of your day. And I'll see you soon. You've been listening to Michael Clark Architect on what is and what could be. Bye for now.